Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 14. Verse 14, For I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. When it comes to food, Peter had a, a vision from the Lord where the Lord lowered a sheet full of unclean animals. He's a Jew. They're not allowed to eat bacon, sorry. There's no ribs, no pork chops. These guys, they got to miss out on this because pork is an unclean animal. And there's a whole bunch of unclean animals like lobster. Did you know lobster's unclean? Shrimp. A lot of the seafoods are unclean according to the Jewish law. So a lot of the Jews are not supposed to eat it. But the Lord lowered a sheet to Peter in the book of Acts, and he said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Oh, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. He followed the Jewish dietary law. The sheet goes up, it comes back down. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, no way. By the way, this has got to be one of the biggest faux pas in the whole scripture. No, Lord. Okay, Lord means master. So whatever the master says... What are we supposed to say? We're supposed to say, yes, whatever the master says. But here's Peter. No, master. No, you call the shots, but no, I don't do what you say. And he does this three times. And the spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says, Peter, do not call unclean what I call clean. Now, it says right in that scripture, thus the Lord declared all things clean. And Jesus, when he was tested by the Pharisees, they asked him about these things, and he said, listen, it's not what goes in a mouth that defiles a man. What goes in the mouth goes into the stomach, goes through the digestion. It doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles, because what comes out of your mouth comes from the heart. He's worried about the heart, not what the digestive tract is dealing with. So he says, don't make this the issue what people eat. And he says here, I am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, if the person thinks, hey, that's unclean to me, I can't eat that. Then what does Paul say? To that man, it is unclean. Now Paul says, to me, I'm convinced in the Lord there's nothing unclean. Was Paul a Jew? Yes. Raised in the strictest sect, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's not supposed to eat pork either. Verse 15, for because of food your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy him with food for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not about eating or drinking, it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and for building up one another. We're supposed to pursue peace and things that build up people. Now last week I challenged you not to judge. This week I'm going to challenge you to take it a step further. This week, I want you to not judge, and on top of it, I want you to add a pursuit. Now, last week, we were determining not to judge. This week, we're going to add a pursuit. 
and our pursuit is this verse right here. Verse 19, we're going to pursue peace and building up of one another. Building up. Edifying is the Christian lingo they use. Building up someone. To come and to lift up another person when they're down. Does any of you appreciate those people that are like that in your life? The ones that build you up? Unfortunately, I think probably all of us could name the people who have built us up in our lives probably on one hand. We don't even need more than this many digits. Think in your mind, who has been the one that has been there for you all the time and spoke words that built you up? I mean, so you're going, well, wait a minute. You mean like once in my life or once in a great while? Or I mean, how about a regular, like on a regular basis? When you talk to them, they're always building you up. How many of you can think of folks like that in your life? Can you do 10 folks like that? I've noticed, I've done this before. How many can think of five? This is what kills me. Can any of you think of five people in your life currently that are there for you and build you up every time you talk to them? Three? Oh, see, I got my first hands. Two? For most of us, guess what? One? This is sad. That there's usually in our lives one or two people that we can count on that is there to build us up. When you talk to them, they're like, hey, how are you doing? How can I encourage you? You can do it. Hang in there. They have these words that just lift your heart. You can be dragging. You can be having a hard, hard week. Man, you see them coming. You're like, oh, thank you, God. I needed that person. Because you just ran into five negative Nellies. Some of those ones that just tear you down. And why do those ones breed and multiply? And they're everywhere. And they're so rare. It's like that valuable pearl. What Jesus talked about, the kingdom of God, like a, such a precious pearl. But it's hard to find. This week, I want you to all be the precious pearl that people see coming and go, Oh, so nice to have them coming. They build me up. They encourage me. It says pursue peace. Now we're going to talk about that in more detail when we back up to verse 17. But let me read to the end of the chapter first so I can tie it into the context. Because I'm answering the question, how do I know what I can get away with? Well, here comes the first rule of thumb. I'm going to give you just a spiritual like litmus test of is something okay for you to do in the Lord? Let's boil it down. And Paul's going to put three of them right in a row here. So I'm going to use this chapter because this wisdom is precious. Look at verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Like it offends his conscience. Inside he knows I'm not supposed to eat this. It offends him. If he eats something, maybe he's been a vegetarian his whole life. And you put ribs in front of him. And he's like, I really shouldn't eat this. Well, then what's the answer for him? Paul says, it is evil for the man to eat if he gives offense. In other words, if his conscience isn't clear, you shouldn't do it. In fact, let me just read you to the end of this chapter and you'll see. He says, it is not good to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. 
The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. So the first thing to answer when they ask me, so pastor, what the guidelines, how do I know what's sin in my life? I ask them, can you do it in faith? A clear conscience. Can you do this with a clear conscience? Because you know that so many of the answers come right off the bat. This is just number one. Litmus test number one. Can you do it in faith? If you can't do it in faith, it says it's sin, clearly. It's not even debatable. I don't have to go any farther. You've already got your answer. If you go, oh, I can't do that in faith, then there's your answer. It's sin to you. Don't do it. Because what's the wages of sin? Death. We need that like a hole in the head. The whole idea of finding out what sin is to us in our lives is so that we can avoid that death. We don't need it. Now here's our litmus test number two. Maybe you can do something in faith as your own conviction. It says, happy is the man who has this conviction before God and he doesn't condemn himself in what he approves. If you can eat meat and you have no problem, it doesn't stumble you to eat meat, but look at what Paul says. It is not good to eat meat, verse 21, or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Let's say I'm having some guests over and I find out they're vegetarian. Now, some of you might not know this, but Paul's attitude towards eating meat is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse 13, he says, If me eating meat causes my brother to stumble then I won't eat meat again until the marriage supper of the Lamb. He doesn't want to do anything to stumble his brother. This is how important he makes another person over his own self. It's not about him. It's about how do I help the other person. Now, this is true maturity in your faith because he's not going, what can I get away with? He's like, what can I do to help others? And if that's going to stumble them, then I won't even eat meat until the Lord returns. But as far as he was concerned, eating of meat didn't make you more approved to God or less approved because it just went in like what Jesus said, in the mouth and in the stomach and out the backside. It's gone. It's not what defiled. But he didn't want to use his liberty to stumble someone. This is litmus test number two. First, can you do it in faith with a clear conscience? If you can't, it's a sin. You got your answer. But if you can do it in faith, like I could have a drink at the supper, always at weddings, Italians always have the toast, salute, and give a toast. and That's not to get hammered like my friends, that's to celebrate a joyful occasion. But if it would stumble someone, give me apple juice, grape juice, whatever. I mean, I don't have to have that drink. So litmus test number two is, does it stumble someone? If it's because of some food or drink I'm going to hurt my brother, then I lost the whole attitude of Jesus. Jesus isn't teaching me to love and hurt people. He's teaching me how to love them and care for them the way he would do. Now he says, if you serve Christ in this manner, look at verse 18, this is acceptable to God and it's approved by men. So if you can do it in faith, with a clear conscience, and by the way, 
there are things what the scripture has already foretold us. I'd have to back up in the chapter, but basically if God's word tells you not to do something and you call me up and say, Pastor, it's okay if I kill my neighbor. I hate that guy. You guys know the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill. It's on the list of no-nos. Don't call me up and ask me, can you do something what the Bible says you're not supposed to do? I should have made that number one, by the way. Okay? That's number one. Don't pass that one. You don't even need to go to the next one. But then if you see that the Bible doesn't clearly say yay or nay, then can you do it with a clear conscience? Can you do it in faith? And you say, well, how do I know if I could do it in faith? I got a really easy one for you. What if Jesus was standing right here and you're asking me about doing it? Would he approve of you doing it? I'm not talking about other men. I'm talking about Jesus, Christ the Lord. Because a lot of people find out what's sin in their lives when they have a feeling inside, I shouldn't, well, Lord, I know we like to visit and stuff on Sundays, but I'm going to be go do something, and could you just wait here? Because it's not really your scene. I don't think you would want to do this. And they ask the Lord to stay back. If you have to leave the Lord anywhere to go do what you're going to do, you're going off to sin. Because you should be able to take him with you in this life, right? Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. If you've got to leave him behind to go do something, you're venturing into danger. So when they ask me, how do you know if in faith you do it? Easy. Can I do it with the Lord? If Jesus was right here, I'd say, hey, do this with me, Lord. I want to go visit that neighbor. They need some help. I'd gladly take Jesus to go help. But if you're going to visit the neighbor to do something you shouldn't do, and you have to say, Jesus, you wait here. You just found sin. You can't do that in faith. That, your conscience is already telling you not to do that. So don't do it. And if you're going to do something that's going to stumble your brother or sister just for the sake of food or drink or some external thing, just don't do it that day. They're more important. Do you get the attitude Paul's sharing? Now let me show you the thing that has freed so many young believers when they learn verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a bunch of rules. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what you drink. The kingdom of God is about these three things. I call them gauges. Like gauges on the old cars where we had an actual oil pressure gauge, an tachometer. We had a temperature gauge that told us how hot the engine was. We had one that told the oil pressure. We had a tachometer that told us the rev of the engine, how high it was running. And those gauges gave us a great pre-warning. If you all of a sudden your temperature gauge spiked, you knew. Shut it off before you throw a rod or ruin the engine, cook it. You know something's wrong. Those gauges saved a lot of engines. They got rid of them all. They put this thing they call an idiot light. It's an idiot light for a reason because, well, it comes on a lot. And for some reason, it gets ignored. And then they blow up the engine and then they go, ah, it's idiotic light. It was on. I don't know what it was for. The gauges told you something. The light, you're like, I don't know what it's wrong. Something's wrong. These gauges will teach you about what's going on with your spiritual engine of your life. Now, these three are really simple. Forget what people have taught you about rules about God. You just use these three gauges and you can discover freedom 
to follow Jesus the way you're designed to do. The first one is called righteousness. Righteousness means to be in right standing with God. Am I doing this right before you? It's not righteousness of men, okay? The Bible says the righteousness of men is like filthy rags. It's nothing. Our righteousness does not win a favor with God. But what we're talking about is you doing what's right in God's sight. Someone asked me, Pastor, i got to find out whether this is the right thing for me to do. I'm trying to make a big life decision. But in Bible school, we were studying this verse by verse, the book of Romans, with our teacher, T. Thornton. He was a great Bible teacher. And he broke this thing down. And the first thing he taught us was, it's about doing what is right in God's sight. So if you're not sure, you read the word, you find out if the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, and you were going, well, I wanted to kill the guy. Then that's not right. You got your answer. The gauge says, wrong. The righteousness meter is reading, no, to the zero. Don't do it. But then there's going to come along life circumstances that maybe the Bible doesn't clearly answer with just that gauge. Does that mean you can't figure it out? No. There's a couple more gauges here. The second gauge is peace. Do you have peace in doing this thing? And the third one is joy. Now you say, what does that got to do with this whole what's right in God's sight? Let me show you. One of the fellows came to us and said, would you pray for me? And he had found out that the girl that I was with in Bible school, Sheila, she and I would pray together. Every time we prayed, we had read this verse in the book of 1 John. It says, if you ask anything of God according to his will, then you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, guess what? You know you get your answer. Well, I wouldn't want to waste a lot of time praying because I did a lot of that early on in life and it didn't seem to get me any answers. I wanted answers. When I read this, I'm like, you mean I can know I can get an answer for sure, 100%? I asked the Bible teacher, are you sure? I think it was Dave Grisanti was teaching that class. Are you sure I get an answer? And he's like, yep, absolutely. All you got to do is ask his will. Remember what Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but God's will. He says, you ask anything according to God's will, you'll get an answer. So? Sheila and I, people call us and say, hey, we need prayer. So-and-so's in the hospital. They need prayer for this. Lord, we pray for this person according to your will. Answer right away. And all of a sudden we get a call. You're not going to believe it. A miracle's happened. We're like, cool. That worked. Let's do that again. And we're so simple in our faith, man. People would ask us to pray. Pray for this. Okay, we'll pray. Lord, if we just pray according to your will, you just give it. This one guy comes up and says, pray that I will marry that girl over there. And I was like, what if God wants you to marry that girl? You know how sometimes you get that weird feeling inside, like, I'm not supposed to do this? Well, then don't pray at all. I just want that one. And I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. You think on a big decision like this, you'd really want to get it right, not the wrong one. Another fellow came and said, you know, there's two wonderful sisters here at the Bible school. I like them both. I'm in the reading group with them both. And how do you know which one is the right one? And I read the Bible, it says not to be yoked a believer with an unbeliever. They're both believers. I'm a believer. It's all in the good column. But that doesn't give me my answer. The righteousness part was, check. I could be with either one, 
could be my wife, but how do I know which one is the right one? I said, you're only using one gauge. There's two more gauges. And by the way, these work every time. Big decision, try these three gauges. First of all, ask God, is this right with you? If you get a green light on it, like this fellow's like, well, I know it'd be all right with God. I could be with either one. They're both believers. I said, okay, what's the next gauge? Peace. Do you have peace to be with either one? He's like, yeah. Any more peace on one than the other? No, kind of equal. I said, well, good thing there's three gauges. Third gauge, right? Which one would you have more joy when you think about spending the rest of your life with? And all of a sudden, you should see this guy. Because, you know, we did the righteousness gauge real good. Got his answer. Nope, not the answer. Don't know. Did the peace one. It's a half-half. It's about even. What about joy? And all of a sudden, his eyes. Like you could just see. Bing! I got my answer. And it came down to that last gauge for him. Which one would you have more joy spending the rest of your life with? And he went, I know which one. This is a really important thing that you can use. These three gauges, this has worked every single time for every big life decision that people have hit me with. Pastor, should I quit my job, move to another state, start a whatever different business? Should I go here, do this? Every single time I can run through these three gauges and they get their answer. Some of them don't get past the first gauge. You know what this does? This answers those questions that people call the gray area where the Bible's not black and white about something. And they're like, well, it's kind of gray. I'm not really certain what the answer is. I said, no, it's got all the black and white answers. You're just not reading it right. You need to use all three gauges. You'll get the black and white answer. But they just don't know the gauges are there. They've been using the idiot light for their whole Christian experience. They're like, well, light came on, but I didn't know what it meant. And they wonder why their life's blowing up. This should probably be taught to every Christian as they start off. Can you do this rightly before God? Is this right with God? If they say, yeah, I read everything, it seems like it's okay. Do you have peace doing it? Sometimes things are okay with God to do, but when you ask them, do you have peace about it? They're like, no. Then you just got your answer. Don't do it. See, because the kingdom of God is not a bunch of rules. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. And there's nothing worse than Christians that are doing what they think is right, but they have no peace and they have no joy. You ever run into those ones? Man, they are a challenge. Why do they have to exist, Lord? Because somebody forgot to teach them the other gauges are there. For your own good, those gauges of the Holy Ghost. Now, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God was gifted to us to lead us, to guide us, to teach us all things. To bring to our remembrance the things what Christ's Spirit has spoke to you. You'll hear this today and maybe you won't recall it right away. But I guarantee when you hit the day when you're going, I need to know if this is okay. These gauges will come back to your mind. You'll be like, I oh, is righteousness, yeah, first. Uh, was it joy or peace? Well, you look it up. These three will get you through so many quagmire questions. 
And you'll be like, okay. Because so many Christians proceed to make life-impacting decisions when they inwardly don't have peace about it. Or they don't have joy about it. So what are the three things? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's make it so we could operate and get through this life. And these three really work. And what are we going to purpose? Last week we weren't going to judge. No judging. This week we're going to add one thing to that. To pursue peace. Pursue peace. Try to be a person of peace instead of a person that's always looking for a fight. Now see, I only say that because some of us, when we read this, that's the first thing we thought. What? I'm not supposed to fight? Pursue peace. you got to be kidding me. But that's not the only thing it said, to pursue. It says to pursue building up one another. How about you become one of the people who build up people when they come around? Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord or at our podcast site, celebratethelord.org. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.